We're continuing a series of teaching today called Family Meeting. Family Meeting. These are family talks that we're having in our church right now because we know that God is preparing us for an even greater harvest that's coming. We wanna see even more lives changed in our community. And so what I feel like God is doing in our church is he's drawing those of us who are here into the core and he wants some of us who are maybe Christians already to become fully developing followers of Jesus so that we can make a difference, so that we can be blessed, so that we can be who God has called us to be. Let me just tell you right up front, if you're new to this church, if you're a guest today, these are challenging messages, but that's okay because you cannot change unless you're challenged. So I am bold in challenging you only because I wanna say what I think God wants me to say. I wanna see us grow in the way that God is calling us to grow. So is that okay? Okay, you're like, challenge us, pastor. Okay, I will, good. So I wanna talk today about God's family finance plan. I'm talking about family finances, and every family has finances. Whatever kind of family you grew up in, you had a finance situation, maybe good finances or bad finances. But really, what you gotta understand is the kind of financial situation that you're looking at as a family is not based on how much money you make, but more so on how you handle the money that you make. Isn't that true? Because I remember when I was growing up as a, a young kid, my dad was a pastor. And back in those days, you know, man, pastors were poor. And we lived in this parsonage, this house that the church owned. That way they could pay him less money. And I didn't realize we were poor because my parents were good at handling money. You know, they, they gave and they saved and they lived on a budget. And, and I didn't realize till later as an adult looking back, like, oh, I don't think we had very much money. You know, we were like store brand cereal, one pair of shoes at a time. You know, it's like, we didn't have a lot, but I always felt secure because of the way that they handled finances. And so I, I know people, and there are people in this church who make a lot of money, but there's a lot of insecurity in their family finances because of the way that they handle money. And then I know people who don't make that much money at all, but there is a lot of security in their family finances because they handle money properly, they save and they have a budget and they stay out of debt. And so you can really decide what kind of financial situation you want for your life, whether you make a lot or a little, it's all determined by how you handle what God has entrusted you with. So let me help you understand God's family finance plan because the church is a family, and God has a family finance plan. I want you to understand this family finance plan. This is God's family finance plan. First, God blesses his people. How many of you know I'm blessed? Man, Jesus saved me. He forgave me. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. He gave me life. He gave me purpose. He gave me gifts. He blessed me, and if he never did another thing for me, I'd be able to say for the rest of my life that God has truly blessed me. Do we have any blessed people here today? Amen. So God blessed us before we ever did anything. We gotta get that straight. And then as God's people who study his word and we, we kind of understand that our God is a generous God, we give. As God's people, we give. And that's why we have a time of giving every week that we come to church. And then what happens is because we give, the church grows. Sometimes people wonder like, well, what's the church gonna do with my money? Well, first off, it's not your money. Secondly, when you give, the church grows. And I could get into the budget and I could talk about budgets and, and finances all day. I'm like, a, I'm like a finance nerd. But the bottom line is this. Your giving allows the church to grow. 
more money equals more ministry. And for the last five years, this church has been growing. And as it grows, more people give. And as more people give, we grow even more. And what happens as the church grows, we have a wider reach and we reach more people. So more people know God. Isn't that awesome? You saw over 130 people get baptized in just this last month. People who came to know God because of this church growing in reach across the valley, right? And then as these people come to know God, they understand how they've been blessed by God. And then they start giving. And then the church grows even more. And we reach even more people. And then they are blessed. You see this family finance plan that God has established? It's so beautiful. The great thing is this. God is a good God. And he gives all of his children free will to choose. Isn't he good? So you can choose to participate in the family finance plan, or you can choose to opt out. You can like, don't you wish you could opt out of taxes? I do, I'd be like, easy choice. But God says you can choose to opt in or opt out. It's up to you, you can still be a child of God and part of the family and participate in the finance plan or not. So you can opt out, but you have to understand what you're opting out of. When you opt out of God's family finance plan, you're opting out of building the church of Jesus Christ. You're opting out of helping more people know God the way that you do. You're opting out of continued financial blessing and multiple aspects of blessing in your life. So you can sit on the sidelines and say, God, you know, I, I appreciate you saving me, but I just wanna keep my finances separate from my faith. Or you can say, Jesus is Lord over all my life. And man, money is a big part of our life. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. Some of you think it'd be heaven if I had more money. But money is important. This is God's family finance plan. So I want you to understand how it works. So anyone can come to our church, whether they give or not. Isn't that great? You notice like we were not selling tickets at the door. You just walk up in this joint. It's awesome. But to be a church member, a church member commits to participate in the family finance plan. So a church member makes this commitment. I commit to tie the first 10% of my income in alignment with scripture and give offerings, which is above and beyond, as God leads me to be generous. So why does a member make this commitment? Really, a church member makes this commitment, but I would say a fully developing follower of Jesus, regardless of where they go to church, they have this mindset, that I'm committed to participate in God's family finance plan, and I do that by bringing the first 10% of my income to God. Why do we do this? Because of what we read in the Bible. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits." of all your produce. With the first fruits of all your increase, honor the Lord with your wealth. So I wanna illustrate what this looks like. God says, to honor me with your wealth, you bring me the first 10%. So if God gives you 10 bags of potatoes, I love me some potatoes, he says, Ryan, I want you to give me the first bag of potatoes. And so I'm gonna do that. This is God's table, but God says, Ryan, I'm gonna let you keep nine bags of potatoes. That's a lot of tater tots. Thank you, God. But God just wants the first fruits, and I honor him with my wealth by bringing him the first fruits. God says, Ryan, I'm gonna give you 10 cabbages, and I want you to honor me by bringing me the first 
fruits. The first cabbage is mine, God says, but Ryan, you get to have a whole lot of sauerkraut. You get to keep nine cabbages. Now, you're probably not a farmer, but you probably get a paycheck of some sort like I do. Um, But God says, when you get paid, right, it's a bag of apples, but let's just pretend like it's a paycheck. Let's say it's $1,000, because I like round numbers, because I wasn't that great at math. Um, God says, the first 10% of mine, 10% of $1,000 would be $100. God says, bring me the first 10%, but you keep nine bags of apples, Ryan. That's a lot of apples. That's an apple a day keeps the devil away kind of situation. Then God says, Ryan, I like tropical fruit, um, so I'm gonna give you 10 cantaloupe. But look, the 10, the 10th is God's. The first 10% belongs to God. And why am I doing this? Not so I can be saved, but because I wanna honor the Lord with my wealth and with the first fruits of all I produce. And the key word that the Bible uses, another translation says increase. Increase, so it's profit. So like an example would be, let's say, you know, like you buy something and then you sell it for a profit. You would only bring God the first fruits of the profit. If you buy something for, let's say, $500 and you sell it for $1,000, your profit is $500. So let's say I had 500 butternut squash, God gets the first 50, right? God, there's your 50 butternut squash. Um, God says, Ryan, I'm gonna give you 10 coconuts. But the first one is God's. If I keep all 10, you know, I'm not honoring God with my wealth. I gotta realize God's letting me keep 10 or keep nine. And he could have said, I wanna go 50-50 with you on this. But he said, I want the first 10th because in the Bible, one 10th represented the whole. And what this is about is in our hearts, we're saying, God, I'm bringing you the tithe. And that represents that I recognize everything I have is actually yours. It's the mind mindset of a follower of Jesus. Everything is God. And me giving God the first pineapple is about me symbolizing from my heart that God, all of these pineapples came from you and ultimately they all belong to you. But I want to honor you with my wealth by bringing you the first pair, God. The first pair is yours. Pears can be so good and I'm so grateful. But man, I got to recognize God, this increase dynamic is important, right? Like, so maybe it's an inheritance. Maybe you get an inheritance and you haven't you haven't tithed on that yet, but that would be the thing to do. That would be an increase to you of wealth. And so to honor God, the first 10% would be God's. And God says, keep the 90% and enjoy it and operate responsibly, but the first is mine. Lemons. We have so many lemons in Arizona. It's insane. Every year people are like, Pastor Ryan, I got some lemons from my backyard. Does anybody want lemons? And I'm like, nobody wants your lemons. (laughs) But God wants the first one. Bag of oranges. Man, God says, Ryan, you get to keep nine bags of oranges. I just want the first. This is God's table. And and really, we honor God by bringing him the first 10%. But do you see how much is there? There's so much there that it can't even fit on the table. God says, I just want the 10th. The 10th is mine. And and we honor him by bringing it to him. Like, bananas are awesome. Um, Bananas. We bring God the first 10%. And then broccoli. God doesn't want broccoli. What else do we got? (laughs) That's the devil's food right there. (laughs) But God's saying, like, you need broccoli, Ryan. You need to keep, you need more broccoli in your life and less ice cream. I get it. I get it. And then the fruit of the vine, grapes. The grapes 
are God's. And some of you, man, you consume a lot of grapes, maybe in liquid form, but God wants, <laughs> God wants the first 10% and he says, you keep 90%, okay? They're not even done piling up the 90% that God lets us keep. But you see how much it is? And then God asks for one-tenth as a tithe. And so sometimes we hear this concept of tithing and we think like, how could I do that? God wants that much? But when you really stop and think about it, it's much crazier how much 90% really is. Now, now what happens is in the Bible, I'm gonna talk about this, but God says, when you bring me the first 10% and honor me this way, I'm gonna bless you. And so God then blesses the 90% that remains. And you need to know that 90% with God's blessing goes much further than 100% without God's blessing, okay? Do you see how much this is? I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is a lot. Even if God didn't bless it, we'd have fruit for days. And then God says, this is mine. This is mine. So here's where we get a lot of this from in scripture. I'm gonna continue to unpack this because I want you to understand it fully. In Malachi 3, 7, it says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? And God says, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you, God? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. God said to his people, you're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe, he says, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, God says, put me to the test. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more, no more need. And then God says, I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. So you, you see what's going on in this passage. There's a lot there, but God says that taking anything off his table is robbing him. He says, this belongs to me. Even if I keep it in my checking account, it still belongs to God. Here's a little tip. I don't want God's money in my checking account. Like you can rob the IRS and maybe get away with it, but God knows, he knows everything. So man, I don't wanna have God's money in my checking account because God says that when you rob him, it uses this word curse, but you should understand it like this. There's consequences. There are consequences when we don't do things God's way. But he encourages us. He says he's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He says, bring me the whole tithe. He wants the whole 10%. He says, bring it to my house. And I think it's interesting. He uses the word house because the church is a family. This is God's house. We're God's people and we're a family. He said, bring the whole tithe. That means he wants the whole 10% coming to his house, your local church, not like divided up between a televangelist and your favorite charity and like three churches that you go to depending on what events they have going on. <laughs> but like into your local, your local church and then God says, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless you. And he promises to bless us. And then this is also interesting. He says, I'll protect you from the devourer. I will rebuke the devourer. In those days, it was an agrarian society so they would think of the devourer as pest and disease pestilence and disease, like maybe locusts would consume their crops or disease can kill plants. But today there is still pest and disease. The pest that we deal with is the devil. 
And the devil does want to hurt you. The devil does want to destroy you. The devil would be happy to, to chip away at some of what God has given you. And then there is disease. And I think of the disease that we deal with today is sin. There is a sin uh, affects everything in our hearts and in this world. And so sometimes sin can cause us to have money problems because we don't handle money properly. But tithing teaches us how to handle money and God promises to protect us. Tithing helps us in so many ways. I think of how God has protected me from the devourer. Like, you know, we live in a fallen world and, and, and just because we're not, we're not perfect because of that. And so sometimes we forget things. Amen, anybody here, you forget sometimes. Well, a couple years ago, I got my wife a new car because I'm an amazing husband. And uh, I learned that you have 30 days to add your car to your insurance. And I was like, oh, I got 30 days. Awesome, plenty of time. Well, guess what I forgot to do? Eight months later, Amy got in a car accident and I was driving to the car accident to come get her. And she said, I can't find the insurance card. And it hit me like a light bulb. I never added this car to our insurance. I had still been paying the premium for her old car, but that's not the car she was driving. The car she has now is more expensive than the car she had. I'm driving to this accident, and unfortunately, you know, it was, a, it was our fault. And so we would have been responsible for all the damage that happened in this accident. This car, I mean, it could have been, honestly, I was tallying it up in my head, it could have been over $75,000, maybe $100,000 that I could have been responsible for. And I honestly felt like I was gonna throw up. And I'm thinking like, oh man, it's gonna be a long rebuilding process. Like I'm Googling, can they take my house from me? And I'm thinking, this is really bad, really bad. And I just forgot, I just forgot. And so I called my insurance company, I told them what happened, and I started begging, like, uh, uh, just no shame, just like, please forgive me, please. And like, I was paying my premium, but it wasn't the right one. And how many of you know, insurance companies are generally not in the business of doing you any favors? <laughs> They're not looking to help you out, right? Like, so they did not have to do anything for me. They could have said, you're on your own, good luck, buddy. Not covered. But here's what they said, they said, sir, You've been a, a good customer, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna backdate your policy. You're just gonna owe us the difference in premium that you would have paid, and we're gonna cover everything. I owe them $37. This is God saying, I'm gonna rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. I completely believe that God blessed me and protected me in that situation because I tithe. He promised that he would. And so this is something that I think all Christians are called to do. And I'm gonna help you understand why I believe that based on what the Bible says. I think all Christians are called to do this, but there are barriers to tithing that we have to overcome. Because even though we appreciate what Jesus has done for us and we love him, sometimes we struggle, especially when it comes to money. Your money is very emotional and it's tied to your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so we really struggle sometimes with finances. Some of you don't, but some of us do do, and it's hard to get ourselves doing this and following in what the Bible says. And there's a reason why we struggle. It's either because of fear, greed, or rebellion. And I like to think about motivations more than behaviors. You know, as a pastor, I think, well, why do we do the things we do? And I think that's even more helpful. We don't tithe because it scares us, because we're greedy, 
or because we're rebelling against God's word. Those are the only possible reasons. Once you know, once you know what the Bible says, this is why you don't tithe. First is fear, and that's a common feeling that people have. Like, if I do this, I won't have enough. If I bring God the first 10%, I might not have enough. But I wanted to illustrate for you that even bringing God the first 10%, there's still so much left over. And, and I don't know, but here we are in America, and even the poorest among us are still richer than 99% of the people who have ever lived in the history of the world. Like our poorest family all has iPhones still. <laughs> like go visit a country like Haiti. Like I've been to Haiti. Those are poor people. Those are poor people. You come back to America and you're like, oh, we are rich. So the idea that if I tithe, I'm not gonna have enough, and that's not really accurate. Like I, as a pastor, I've been a pastor now for a while. I've done funerals, I've done weddings. I've never done a funeral for anyone who's starved to death. Yeah, man, he tithed himself to death. He just didn't have enough. You know, if you, if you call me up and you're like, I need food, I need clothes, like we have food and clothes, we will give you, we will provide for you, we'll help you. That's what family does. But we will, we will have enough and God promises to provide for our needs. I think if you can trust that Jesus will save you from hell, you should be able to trust that Jesus can provide your dinner. That's easy. What sometimes people who struggle with fear, what sometimes they'll say is, I'll do that when I make more money. And let me just tell you, no, you won't. If you're telling yourself, I'll do that someday when I have more, I'm telling you, no, you won't. You gotta start where you're at. Jesus said in Luke 16, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in larger ones, but if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Money is a big responsibility. And so if you're robbing God with a little, God says, well, why am I gonna trust you with greater responsibilities? If you're telling yourself, I'll, I'll do that someday when I have more, I, I wanna tell you that robbing God is a good way to maybe never have more. Because he's saying, you're being dishonest with what you have now. And that will oftentimes prevent you from experiencing what God wants you to experience, which is a growing in responsibility and opportunity. Well, but one of the reasons why sometimes we think, if I tithe, I won't have enough, is because we're not really thinking of needs, we're actually thinking of wants. And we get confused about needs and wants sometimes. Like, we need food and water and shelter and clothing. We want phones and high-speed internet and streaming services and lattes. I need my latte. No, 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 you want a latte. No, no, I need my latte. It's a long drive to work and it's such an early morning. Like, I need it. But tithing teaches us to overcome greed that we struggle with. Really, greed is a reason that we sometimes don't tithe because it's like, if I bring God 10%, that's less for me. And so we get greedy sometimes and we're like, well, God already gave me so much, but I'm just gonna go ahead and help myself to some of God's because then I'll have more. It's greedy. And taking from God can sometimes prevent you from experiencing what he wants to do in your life. Those are good grapes, actually. <laughs> we gotta find out where we got those. 
but we don't want to take from God in order to have stuff. People will be like, I can't afford to tithe, but they're driving around like an $800 pickup truck. I can't afford to tithe, but they got a subscription to Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and HBO. It's like, you're really worried you won't have enough? You got to really think about, is this a need or a want? And God is trying to figure out what's most important to you. That's what tithing does. It helps us to, to put God first in our life. And God is saying, who do you love most? Do you love me or do you love lattes? You gotta think about, like, what's first in your life? Now, God says this in James 5, verse three. This is what it says to wealthy people who mishandle money. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Now, Christians will have a judgment day, not to determine whether or not you get into heaven, but to determine the amount of reward you will receive for what you did in this life. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. You'll stand before Jesus and you'll answer for your life. Not to determine if you'll get into heaven, you will, but to determine the rewards you receive. Some of us, our checking accounts are gonna testify against us on that day. Because our, our checking accounts will show all the things that were most important to us. Cars, trips, shopping, stuff, savings maybe, investing. But if, is Jesus gonna show up on your checking account? That's a question. Is, is your checking account gonna testify that you love Jesus and that he's important in your life? That's a question you have to ask yourself. And then another reason that people don't tithe is because of rebellion. They have hard hearts. And so they're basically saying, God needs to leave my money alone. I hear what you're saying, Pastor Ryan, but I don't accept it. So if you're, if you're someone who, as soon as I mentioned the word finances today, you got mad, this is you. This is you. Like, I'm talking about you right now. <laughs> if you're mad, it's because you have a hard heart about finances, and so there are people who they don't even wanna know what the Bible says, or they'll say things like this, all the church wants is your money. Really? All the church wants is, all the church wants is your money? Once again, did anybody get charged admission to come into church today? But, but try going to your favorite restaurant and getting fed day after day without paying for your meal. See, I think the restaurant wants your money. The church wants to bless you, right? In all my years, I've never seen one person refuse entry to church because they didn't tithe. I've never seen it happen one time, but we just continue to love people and spiritually feed them. Whether or not people give, it's not the main thing. We're gonna continue to love people and minister to them. Amen. There are some people who say, well, you would want me to tithe because you're the pastor. And, and like, here's something I realized, because we have a lot of new Christians in our church and people who aren't used to church, and so they're like, I don't even know how all this works. And I realize I have to explain this, even though it feels kind of weird and awkward, but I need you to understand that the pastors do not like split the offering. They don't take a percentage of the offering. My pay as a pastor is not based on if this sermon goes really good. Okay, I'm not going, getting like a new boat if this sermon goes really well. Here's how, here's how I get paid as a pastor. I think you should know this. We are committed to handling money with the highest level of integrity in our church. We surpass the IRS standards for 501c3 nonprofit organizations, and we operate at the standard that's set by the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. So we do things that we don't even have to do legally because we want you to have confidence that we're gonna handle God's money properly. And that's how we look at it. Every dollar that is given through our church is God's money, and we're accountable to him for how we use it. We do not waste it, we do not take it lightly. So we operate at a high standard 
And there are probably people who wonder, like, well, what's, what's my place in that? As a pastor, I'm an employee of the church. Our church board of directors, who are volunteers, who also tithe, by the way, they commission a compensation study to be done through our law firm, and they go and they, they study hundreds of churches that are similar to our church, and that provides a range of appropriate salaries to our church board. Then they sit in a room, and they choose my salary. And I walk in and they're like, here's what you're gonna get paid next year. And I'm like, okay, that's how it goes. Just so you know, I'm not getting a percentage of the offering. Cause literally I had someone last time, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, I need to explain this to people. We handle money with integrity because it's God's money. And you need to know this, that as a pastor, I'm too afraid of God to mishandle his money. And then here's the big one that I hear hard-hearted people say. I don't have to tithe because that's from the Old Testament. You've probably heard something like that. You've probably heard something like that. That's coming from someone looking for an excuse rather than the truth. Because what I'm about to do right now is deep dive into what is called systematic Bible theology, which is looking at the whole Bible to figure out what is God saying. That's what we do, okay? We look at the whole word of God, and like detectives, we can gather evidence that figures, helps us figure out what God really means. And that's what we have to do with all issues, so we can make sure that we're actually doing what God wants. Because we know that if you could take some things out of context and you can manipulate things, if you don't look at the whole counsel of scripture, amen? So here's what we gotta do. We gotta understand what the Bible says. Here's what we see. Tithing happened before the Old Testament law. That's a big deal. The fact that it happened before God established the Old Testament Mosaic law. So here's what we see, Genesis 14, verse 19. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Melchizedek was the high priest of God. He said, blessed be Abram, who became Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek, the high priest, a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. You see this? Abram did not have to tithe to the priest. There was no law that mandated he do this. He chose to do it because he was grateful for the victory that God had given him. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to, and he gave the priest a tenth of all the goods he had recovered, recognizing God has blessed me and given me the victory. How many of you know today that God has blessed us and given us the victory, an even greater victory? So this is a big deal that it happened before the law for theologians. That is a strong piece of evidence because things that happened before the law, man, that establishes that this could be a lasting principle that supersedes the law. Like for example, marriage happened before the law. That salvation happens through faith. That was established before the law. That murder is wrong. That was established before the law. And tithing happened before the law. Saying, God, I wanna recognize your place in my life that you blessed me. Okay, here's the next thing. Tithing is reinforced and explained by the Old Testament law. So the Old Testament law, it reinforced what already happened and expanded upon it. And I'll just show you one example out of many in Deuteronomy 14. God says, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. That was their income. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses 
for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and firstborn males of your flocks and herds. In other words, all your wealth. God says, doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. So watch this. Bring it to your place of worship. In Old Testament times, that was the tabernacle or Solomon's temple. In Jesus' day, that was Herod's temple. Today, that's your local church. That's your place of worship. You're supposed to bring your tithe to your place of worship. You don't send like a portion of it to K-Love and a portion of it to a televangelist and then divide the rest up to different churches. It goes to your place of worship. If you move away from here and attend another church, bring it there because that's your place of worship. And God says, this is something that we do because I want my name to be honored. And then I love this. I want to touch on this. He says, eat it there in his presence. In those days, they would consume in this, in this practice, they would consume part of the tithe in God's presence, and it was like a feast they had. But as I read this, I thought, we still do this. We bring our tithe to God through our local church, and then God feeds us spiritual food there in his presence. Do you realize you benefit from your own tithe because your own church is built up and the ministry of that church benefits you. It spiritually nourishes your soul. It's like God is saying, you bring the groceries and I'm gonna cook up a delicious, nourishing meal for your spirit. That's what he's saying. Right? It's like, I'm bringing my tithe, I'm bringing God ingredients. And he's gonna feed, what if God only fed the people that brought their groceries? It's for our own nourishment and in the nourishment of our kids and our whole family. And that doing this teaches us to fear, but really understand it's respect, to respect God's place in our life. Doing this honors God and it recognizes that God is number one in my life. God is number one, and I'm showing you that by, by tithing. And what is not showing that God is number one is tipping. Like just tipping God. What, is, what do I mean by tipping? I mean like pulling out like a few fives or whatever you got in your pocket or some change. You know, like, okay, well, uh, let's see. Here, here, here's some for you, God. Just take a little tip. That, that's, not really, that's not really respecting the Lord or honoring him with the first fruits of our will. Tithing is what does that. Okay, so then watch this next thing, this next passage. Same, same chapter, very next verse. It says this, now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, stop, 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 stop. I just, I just noticed this this week. I just noticed this. What were we talking about before? We, apparently, we were just talking about a regular harvest, even a bad harvest. Here, we're getting instructions for a good harvest. What does that teach me? That teaches me that this is something I do in good times and in bad times. Good harvest, bad harvest, and in between. I don't stop just because I'm going through a difficult time. I'll tell you what, as a Christian, I'm not gonna rob God to even pay SRP, right? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring God my tithe first, and then I'm gonna trust him to provide for my needs with what's left over. Doesn't matter how tight it gets, God is not an option when it comes to designating my money. God is first, I'm not gonna rob him, I'm gonna trust him to take care of my needs, good times and bad. Watch this now. The New Testament always raises the standard. Tithing happened before the Old Testament. It's reinforced by the Old Testament. And then the New Testament, we operate under the New Covenant, the New Testament, that raises the standard. 
It's not like now that Jesus has come, we should all sit on our laurels and do nothing. I'm saved by grace, bro. Like, you know, cruising all the way to heaven. Don't have to do anything. Don't bother me. I'm saved. That's not what the Bible presents. But the standard is raised. It's a higher standard. The New Testament raises the standard. Like the Old Testament was shopping at Walmart. New Testament only shopping at Target. <laughs> it's a higher standard. You know, like Old Testament eating at Mickey D's. New Testament only eats at Chick-fil-A. Amen? <laughs> Old Testament was from California. New Testament's from Arizona. Yeah. It's a higher standard of everything. That's how it works. <laughs> So here, I'll show, you, I'll show you this through even non-money issues. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. What's he, what's he quoting there? The Old Testament. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See, the standard is higher. Let me show you the next example. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, quoting the Old Testament. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. That's a higher standard. It's not a lower standard. See, what Jesus is teaching us is that the Old Testament told you what to do, and the New Testament is helping us understand why we should do it. It's not just about what you do, but it's about your heart. In Old Testament times, they were commanded to tithe, but Jesus was teaching us, you should tithe, and you should do it for the right reasons. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It goes on, it says this in verse 38, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. It's another example. It's, it's a higher standard. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, you turn the other cheek too. I think, I think he meant a different type of cheek. <laughs> and then here's one more. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, quoting the Old Testament, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's hard. That's hard, right? So you don't have to be really good at logic puzzles to see the pattern. Just apply this to money. Apply to money. You could apply to anything, but apply to money, for example. Like, you have heard it said the tithe is God's, but I say everything is God's. You have heard it said you must tithe, but I say you should for the right reasons because you want to. It's about the heart. Now, Jesus fully endorsed giving tithes and offerings to fund ministry through institutions that God established. So during the Old Testament time, that was the tabernacle. During Jesus' day, Herod's temple. Today, it's our local church. In, Ma in Mark chapter 12, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything everything she had to live on. Okay, great passage. I wanna teach you something about how to read the Bible here. Sometimes what is not said is just as helpful as what is said. Jesus is watching all these people give at the temple. What did he not say? He did not say, stop, giving is from the Old Testament. You don't have to do that anymore. He did not say, 
all the temple wants is your money. He did not say, no, no, no poor widow, you don't need to give. You don't have enough to give. He didn't even talk bad about the rich people that were giving. He just said, look at this woman's generous heart. God loves generosity. That's what he said. Did Jesus ever let people give to fund his ministry? Yes, Jesus collected an offering. Hey, did you know this? Luke chapter eight says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages. You know, he was doing like a ministry tour. The, the, the ancient version of Justin Bieber would probably open up with worship and then Jesus would preach. So here he is, he's going around, he's preaching about the good news and the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him who all quit their jobs, by the way. So none of these dudes had any money. And then there was these women that were going with him. Uh, and it mentions these women here, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. And it says, many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. These women, they were boss ladies who have money and they were funding the ministry. If they had not been giving, there would be no ministry in this day. But because they gave, Jesus changed the world. Did Jesus actually say we should tithe, Pastor Ryan? I wanna know, I wanna just tell me straight up. But did Jesus say we should tithe? The answer is yes. He clearly said we should. Matthew 23, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders and he said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? He said, you're hypocrites for you carefully tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Look, it says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He could have said, you don't need to do that anymore. Just do these important things. But no, he said, tithing is something you should do, but there are even more important things than that. But do you see the pattern here, Matthew 5? Remember what it was doing? He was saying, like, you have heard it said you should tithe, but I say unto you that there are even more important things that you should do. Yes, you should tithe, but you should also do even more important things. In other words, tithing is basic. There are even more important things for us as Christians to get a hold of like justice and mercy and faith. And the message I think for us today is, man, if you can't even get a hold of the basics, how are you gonna excel in the more important things? So here's the beautiful thing, to come to this church, you do not have to tithe. Anyone can come to this church and never give anything. But in our church, in order to be a member, you are committing to tithe. And I'll say this, if you're gonna be a leader in this church, you must tithe. Because if you're, not able to handle the basics, how can God trust you with more important things? Wow. You can't have leaders that don't even practice this in their life. If someone leads a life group, if someone's leading a ministry, we expect them to set a good example and take care of the basics and the more important things of justice and mercy and faith. So here's the truth. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and you come away telling me you think that God deserves less than 10%, you should probably read it again. I would really encourage you, read it again. Because it's clear that tithing is the beginning of generosity. And I think this is a practice for all Christians. The Bible makes it very clear. And I could give you even more scripture and more evidence that would make it overwhelmingly clear. So you have to ask yourself, if you're not doing this, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to teach the truth. You have to decide how you're, how you're gonna respond. If you're not doing this, is it because of fear, greed, or rebellion? God wants to help you to do this. 
He wants you to be a part of building his kingdom and reaching lost people. And he wants to bless your finances. He wants to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. Sometimes blessing is physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it is financial. But he will bless you. He promised he would. And everyone I know who has ever tithed has said, I'm blessed. Amen? Amen. God will bless you. And so I, I want to challenge you. I'm challenging you because you can't change unless you're challenged. Amen? So you're like, challenge us, Pastor Ryan. I'm like, I am. I'm trying. Look, don't rob God, church. Don't rob God. If you are, stop. Just stop and make it a priority in your life. And I know people who have made it a priority to stop because they're like, man, I wanna do it God's way. I'm gonna do it right. And I know people, they cancel subscriptions. They traded in their car for a cheaper car because they said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to honor God with my wealth, trusting that God will take care of me. Here are the motivations for tithing. This is why we do it. One, because it's the right thing to do. I think it's just the right thing to do. We all understand the responsibility that if we go eat out at a restaurant, that we should tithe, or tithe, we should tip our waiters and waitresses, right? We should tip our servers. Christians should be the best tippers, I think. We should be generous. So that means, like, man, even if they do a bad job, we're probably giving them 15%. If they do a decent job, we're going way beyond that, right? Nobody has a hard time understanding that concept. That's just what you do. It's just what you should do. If you don't, people are like, man, why is it so easy for us to understand tipping a waitress, but it's hard for us to wrap our minds around bringing God 10% when he has served us in even greater ways? It's just the right thing to do. People will ask, like, can I be a Christian without tithing? And I'll tell you, absolutely. You absolutely can because we're saved by grace through faith. It's not faith plus anything else. It's not faith plus serving or faith plus tithing. It's by grace alone. And if you never do this, you can still go to heaven. But let me just ask you to think about, is that what you wanna do? If I went to my parents and I was like, hey, mom and dad, like, I know I'm 35 years old now, but could I still be your son if I were to move back into your house and you know, just eat your food and drive your cars and freeload off of you? Like, would you still call me son? They'd say, of course, you'll still be our son, but is that the kind of son you want to be? Like, you can, you can be a Christian and not do this, but is that the kind of Christian you want to be? And then here's a, another reason people will say, I want to tithe, because I, they say, I want to be blessed. Like, I want to be blessed. This is not a trick question. Who doesn't want to be blessed? Like, man, of course you should want to be blessed, that's just common sense, and God does bless us when we give. He said, test me in this, test me, and see if I will bless you. See if I will pour out blessing upon you. And God does bless us. He blesses us in so many ways. He multiplies, he protects. And man, I'm not even trying to, to trick anyone into this. I'm not trying to manipulate anyone, but I can tell you I have seen it happen hundreds of of times that people are like, I'm gonna start tithing and then God just starts blessing them. And it, it, sometimes it happens in ways you can't even imagine, but, but God does bless you and you should want to be blessed, but this isn't even the best reason to do it. The third reason people tithe is because they say, I wanna reach lost people. Now I know that when I'm doing this, I am making a difference. You just saw 130 people get baptized. That's because people tithe. Honestly, like I know God changed their lives, but this church would not be here if people weren't tithing. None of us would be here today if people didn't give. So when you give, you are actually changing people's lives. You are fulfilling your purpose in this life. 
when you're giving, you're making a difference. But that is not even the absolute best reason. The best reason to tithe is because in your heart you say, I wanna honor God. I just want to honor God. It's not based on any contingencies or guarantees or even good causes. I just wanna do this because God says this honors me. That's the best reason to do it. God said, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth and all you produce. Bringing the tithe into the place of worship where God has chosen for his name to be honored. When we bring our tithes, we are doing it to honor God. This honors God. And when you honor God, he will honor you. That's what Jesus said. He said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Tithing is an act of submission and humility. It's say, God, I recognize that everything is yours. I'm honoring you. I submit to your will for my life. I can't say that Jesus is Lord except for when it comes to my finances. So I'm challenging you, church. I'm challenging you today because I love you and I hope that the truth of God's word resonates with your spirit. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And he convicts us, which is a fancy way of saying he convinces us of the truth so that we can obey. When we follow what he is leading us to do, we find that his ways are greater than our ways. They lead to life beyond what we could hope or imagine. And so I'm encouraging, I'm encouraging you, if you're not a tither, to trust God. Put God first in your finances. Begin to trust him in this area. Make this a priority in your life and never stop. Never stop. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't know many tithers who stop. If you, if you did stop, start again. But I don't know many who stop because once you start doing this, you see the evidence of God's blessing in your life so quickly. It's easy to keep going. I'll tell you what, in my life, it was hard to start doing this, but I, I found that when I did, it felt so right. It just feels so right. And then on top of that, you see all God's blessing and you see how he changes people's lives and how the kingdom of God expands. So man, I'm, I'm believing that God is doing something great in our church and that this is a season of us rising up and growing to a higher level. I'm not preaching this money because, or preaching this message on money because the church is in trouble or something. That's not why we do this. Because we do this because it's good for you. I want you to be blessed by God. I want you to know what the word of God says about how to handle your finances. It will be good for you as you implement this in your life. I know it's challenging at times, but we already have a very generous church. And I believe that it's gonna become even more generous because Jesus wants his church to grow and he wants even more people to be reached so that they can know him and be blessed. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, your word is truth and it's a lamp to our feet. It guides our decision-making process. And I know that you want us to grow and become more like Jesus. Jesus gave it all for us so that we could know you and be blessed and forgiven and become your children, Lord. And we know that giving lets us be like Jesus. So God, I pray for every person in our church right now. First off, that you would comfort anyone who feels afraid, like they won't have enough. I know that there are people in this church that have lost jobs or they're struggling financially. God, you said you are our provider. And we know that you will keep your promises. You will provide. Lord, for anywhere in our heart that there is greed, I pray that you would root it out, that you would replace greed with generosity. 
because we wanna be generous the way that you're generous, God. And, and if, God, in any way we're struggling with hard hearts and we're trying to, to not listen to what you're saying, Lord, would you pierce through our hard hearts and let the truth that you have spoken soften our hearts so that we can experience in our lives what you want. Lord, I love you and I thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name.